Welcome to the You Are Loved podcast. My name's Liv Downing. I'm a psychologist and meditation teacher. And my vision for this podcast is to provide all of us with different access points to this sense of coming home, this sense of of connection and belonging. You Are Loved is the title of my forthcoming children's book, which will be released at some point in the future, hopefully in 2022, but we'll see. And in it, I really explore the possibility that that sense of love and connection is always available to us. And then I offer meditation as a way for us to experience that. I also know that meditation is not necessarily for everybody. So over these series of podcast interviews, I'm wanting to provide different ways for all of us to to come home, to sense this feeling of being loved, no matter what wonderful life throws at us. So thank you so much for joining me and my beautiful guests. And I look forward to sharing this series with you. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. I get to be the interviewee rather than the interviewer. I am being interviewed by Genevieve Ward. Jen and I used to work together back in my days in recruitment, and you'll hear a bit about the history of our relationship in the interview. And Jen now runs a career coaching business called The Good Life Careers, and she also has a radio show on 94.9 Main FM where she talks about all things mental health in her show called Mind Your Head. Anyway, she interviewed me for that show. And I thought it would be interesting to share our interview on the You I Loved podcast. Um, I guess I don't talk much about my stuff on this podcast, and I thought it might be helpful because I think the information that I share in this particular interview is really important in our journey towards thriving and mental wellness. I don't think we talk about the body enough and the role of the body in our overall mental health. And that's really what this interview is about. So in it, I give you my take on polyvagal theory uh, and specifically in relation to my dear dad. Um, Polyvagal theory is something that I've only recently learned about and understood how it interacts with um, or how our vagus system interacts with our mental health. And so I do the best I can explaining it to you in this interview. Uh, I also share some practical tips to manage ourselves during this tricky time of a global pandemic and some, some tools and some techniques that I have as part of my own recipe for well-being as well as a little bit about the um, this Melbourne-Sydney rivalry that's happening at the moment with the current outbreaks. You'll hear as halfway through the interview, uh, Jen says we're going to a song, which is All I Want Is You by U2. That was obviously recorded for the radio show. You don't get to listen to All I Want Is You by U2 in this version of the interview. Um, However, I do explain why that's an important song for me and and to this day still one of my very favourites. I hope you enjoy this conversation just as much as I love doing it for you. Today, I'm having a chat over Zoom with Olivia Downing, or Liv, and good old Zoom, I will flag that I have two roosters, and they they seem to know when I'm recording on Zoom. <laughs> so do you prefer to be called Liv or Olivia? I definitely prefer Liv, Jen. Thank you. Great. Now, we worked together back, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago, And you're a psychologist, a counsellor, a mindfulness practitioner. 
we worked in HR and a large recruitment firm in corporate Melbourne and we were working on projects where organisations were restructuring and they were, they were good times. This was um, around the time I think I was pregnant with my, my boy who's now 18 and um, it's so great to catch up with you today. Oh, thank you for having me. I was so thrilled that you reached out. And yeah, those times were amazing. I don't think I realised how great they were, the freedom we had. You know, we used to trot up and down Collins Street in our high heels and I did love it. I did love it. And there's times I miss the team. Yeah. Well, good old Facebook for keeping us in touch with the old gang. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm interested to hear about your career journey since uh, working in org psych and what led you to become a mindfulness practitioner? Mm, Good question. So I uh, loved working in the corporate space, loved helping people, loved solving problems and coming up with solutions, but I obviously had trained as a psychologist for a reason and that was to really get into the the meaty stuff with people so I ended up going back into the clinical space I left the corporate space and went back into clinical and it was there that I discovered mindfulness as a technique so I was you know doing pretty standard cognitive behavioral therapy work with clients mainly adults mainly people suffering with anxiety and depression um you know I had the occasional colorful client that I got to work with but mainly it was you know pretty garden variety, anxiety and depression. I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy and, um, you know, a little bit of interpersonal therapy stuff, obviously some relaxation skills. And then I thought, oh, I need a new, a new trick for my toolkit. So, and I was pretty young at this stage. I think this is my early thirties. So this is a while ago. (laughs) longer than I'd like to admit. And I did a course in mindfulness-based therapy for psychologists with Dr. Craig Hassid, who is now at Monash, or he was then, but he's at Monash Uni. And I rocked up to this course and we seemed to spend a hell of a lot of time meditating, Jen. And I, to be really honest with you, I was quite annoyed because I was wanting to be given a manual with some possibly things that I can photocopy and then hand out to clients. But we spent a whole lot of time meditating. And to be honest, that first day of the two-day course really profoundly changed my life because I realized for the very first time that I am not my thoughts. That changed everything for me. And so I went back into private practice and started using this work with clients and then saw the changes it was having for them and then realized it would probably be helpful for me to manage my own tendency towards anxious thoughts and responses um, and the occasional bout of burnout and depression. And it wasn't really until I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune condition, um, when I had a one-year-old, that I really, that was my wake-up call. So that was my moment to dive deep into not only mindfulness, which is paying attention to the present moment in a particular way, but really deep into meditation. I guess that I had a calling to help me manage my physical pain and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't change my baby's nappies. I couldn't walk up the stairs to his bedroom. And so I had a pretty big motivation to do it. And so that was 11 years ago now. And I then have spent the last 11 years teaching and learning mindfulness and teaching in schools and workplaces, because obviously you know, our shared corporate experience, Jen, has been handy because I've been able to translate a lot of these ancient wisdoms to the workplace, which has been great. And then I'm also back in private practice. So I feel really grateful I get to um, share a skill, a tool, a capacity we all have as humans across a number of different environments. So I get to do it one-on-one and I also get to do it with groups. So 
it's it's and it's you know it's every time I teach I remind myself of all the things I need to remember so I'm on the journey with my clients and with my students yeah that's so wonderful and this is um mindful practice is is also my my journey so I love this topic now I've been following you on social media and I noticed that you do write interesting blog posts from time to time on your Live Mindfully website. And um, one that you wrote recently captured my attention, uh, and it's an area that I'm fascinated with around anxiety, depression, the brain and the body. And your article speaks about your lived experience with mental illness in your family. And you balance this out with a wonderfully clear explanation of the science around brain and body in relation to why we can suffer this way. Mm. Would you like to yeah, share your story and some of these key points? Oh, Jen, I'd love to. So just a little bit of history. Um, my beautiful dad, who is in his mid-70s now, he has lived with bipolar disorder and pretty epic anxiety and depression, probably for his whole life, but it really wasn't diagnosed until he was in his 50s, which is when he had his first episode of major depression. And it's been a pretty big pattern for him over the last 25 years where he would become majorly depressed, so clinically depressed. And when I say depression, I'm not meaning sad. Sadness is part of the human condition. You know, that's often a very wise response to things happening in our world. Depression is more a feeling of numbness, total lack of energy, an experience of, you know, it's really, it, we feel like we're in a bubble, not, you're not able to communicate, perhaps not even conscious of the thoughts that are happening in your mind. And so my gorgeous dad would be flattened by bouts of this every year or a couple of years and he'd spend time in hospital having pretty epic treatment options given to him ranging from medication, which I'm all for. I think there's lots of room for medication in mental health, as long as it's given within a holistic approach. And ECT, so electroconvulsive therapy, which was something that has continued to be very helpful for dad to manage his mental health. But as a psychologist, I would sit on the end of his bed and, and try to get him to notice his thoughts. And I would say, dad, you know, but what are you thinking? You know, because I wanted to analyze him I wanted to pull apart his core beliefs and help him redefine them and um and he would just say to me Liv I'm numb I don't I'm not thinking or feeling anything and so that perplexed me and it perplexed me uh, I didn't really understand why anxiety and depression would go hand in hand and even at the extreme levels for dad it was the bipolar disorder so why they'd be mania and then this massive crash and uh, Look, mental illness is very complicated. There's no clean and clear answer. And everybody's precipitating events and genetics and biology is different. But what I observed in my dad over those 25 years and in myself to a lesser extent, because I've been lucky that I, I haven't faced the traumas that my dad did in his childhood, but I definitely inherited the genetics. I got my, I often say I got my mum's great legs and my, uh, my dad's tendency to overthink and, and wipe myself out. But when I discovered polyvagal theory, um, and this was only last year, it all made complete sense to me. It really fell into place and explained why we can have these highs, this fight, flight, go, 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 busy, 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 speed, speed, speed response. 
And then at some point, there's almost an off switch, like there's a shutdown. And that's what depression can feel like for many people. They feel completely disengaged from from life, from the world. And polyvagal theory explains that beautifully. Um, And so for me, it was just like, it was, it felt, Jen, like the experience I had when I was in that first workshop with Craig, when I realized I'm not my thoughts, that was, you know, my introduction and my realization to mindfulness. When I learned about polyvagal theory, I had the same, oh, kind of, you know, the skies opened and the angels sang experience. So the theory basically talks about our physiological response to trauma and explains it by way of the autonomic nervous system. So, um, you know, and I'm sure, Jen, you've heard of the fight-flight response and maybe the freeze response. And so the fight-flight response is our natural stress response. It's the sympathetic nervous system. It's there to get us out of bed in the morning. We need it to write our to-do lists, to, to get moving. But what can happen for those of us who have had either genetically inherited this overwired system or we've faced trauma is that on switch can be left on. And so what that means is that the body is buzzing and churning at a, an unnatural rate for many, many years because the threat, as far as the body's concerned, has not been resolved. So it needs to stay in fight flight. It needs to keep buzzing. And then this can eventually manifest as an anxiety disorder or mania at the extreme level. The other side of the system, which is called the parasympathetic nervous system, is the rest and digest system. That's the part of our system that is there to calm us down. It's responsible, you know, for our immune system. Um, It's where we heal. It's where we digest and absorb all the nutrients in our food. And it's a beautiful place to be. What mindfulness and meditation can do is help us switch that on. So by simply paying attention to our breath, we can engage the parasympathetic nervous system which can help calm down the flight fight system. The thing that I didn't know is that the parasympathetic system has two branches. It has the freeze branch, which is the shutdown circuit. I call it the disconnect branch. And it has the connect branch, which is the part of us where we connect deeply with other people. We can, might connect with love or spirit or nature or all that stuff we know is great for our mental health. What I realized is that my beautiful dad for all these years had been buzzing and running on fight, flight, and then his body as a self-protective mechanism, when it all got too much, was coming in and shutting it down and engaging the parasympathetic branch, the freeze response. And that was them plunging him into depression. This wasn't a conscious choice for him. It wasn't because he was thinking bad thoughts because he wasn't grateful enough. It was just his body trying to keep him safe. It actually became a decision as far as his body was concerned between life and death. And so it just, it really made so much sense. And, you know, if I apply that to my own experiences as well, anxiety has been part of, you know, how I've been and how I am in the world for many years Um, And I've managed it as best I can. But there's those occasional times where I do just get wiped out and end up in bed. And I now get that that's my that's my freeze response coming on. I've gone I've gone parasympathetic and I now need to do something to move through the different levels of the system to help me to reengage with life. The guy that came up with this theory and Jen, you might be interested to do some of your own research. Um, his name is Dr. Stephen Porges, and I can highly recommend his work. It's really making its way into mainstream psychology, which is super exciting. 
Yeah, I have heard of Dr. Porges. Uh, I had a co-host on my show uh, who is also a counsellor and, you know, we've discussed a little bit about polyvagal theory before, but I guess not into the depth that you've explained now. And and I remember we um, we found this exercise you can do called VU. Mm-hmm, I don't know it. You take a deep breath in and then you go VU until the breath expires yep. <laughs> um, and you can do that a few times and that helps settle the parasympathetic nerve nervous yeah 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 it totally makes sense because the um the vagus nerve is all in the throat and the face and it's the breath and so that's why singing's great for us that's why facial expression and you know smiling at somebody it engages the the connect network So Stephen Porges calls it, there's the ventral vagal and the dorsal vagal, but I find all those words very confusing. So I prefer just to call them the disconnect and the connect. Uh, They're both branches of the parasympathetic. And yes, that's why chanting works. That's why humming works. That's why, you know, OM, the universal sound, the yogis have known this stuff for years. We're only just seeing now the modern science, which is so exciting, especially in my area of work where it's like, oh, I can now explain the science for why, why meditation's important and why chanting is great and why singing together is great and why dancing is great and why smiling is great. Yeah. Thanks for tying that all together. That's all right. Yeah, lovely, lovely. You've chosen a song for us to play. Tell us your song and why this holds meaning for you. So my song is All I Want Is You by U2 and it's I think it's the ultimate song of the heart. Just in even the music, you can feel the deep love and the deep heartbreak. You know, I think I've always been a bit of a hopeless romantic and I guess I've known on a very deep level that love is important. I now have the science as to why it is important, which is cool. And uh, it's also, interestingly, the song I used to sing to both of my kids when they were babies and it would settle them. But, you know, I think, Jen, what I've worked out about love is that we can cultivate it ourselves. When we think about love, we often think about another person. But the truth is, and I know this through my own journey and through my studies, that we are the ones we've been waiting for. You know, we can build this love in ourselves. We can start to really appreciate who we are and relate to ourselves with more kindness and compassion. So the song's got multiple meanings for me. So Liv, you were talking about how the brain and body work and how experiencing high stress can affect how we function in the world. I'd like to know what tools or strategies you can share with us for people who might be feeling a bit out of balance emotionally or feeling stressed. Um, But yeah, what, what tips do you have? Mm, I've got so many, Jen. And my question is, who's not feeling stressed or out of balance or, you know, a little bit wigged out at the moment with everything that's happening in the world? I think, you know, firstly, before I give some practical tips, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that we are in connection with our environment. We are in context. And it's easy for us to diagnose ourselves with anxiety and depression, but we need to also look at the context and the environment we're in. And we're in the middle of a global pandemic and with that brings a lot of unpredictability and um, a lot of change. So I think let's be really gentle with ourselves and, and, you know, if we, we are feeling overwhelmed, one practical tip is, you know, putting our hand on our heart and really settling down the, the vagus or engaging the vagus nerve and the vagal system and just saying, no wonder, you know, no wonder you're feeling stressed. You're in the middle of a global pandemic. 
no wonder, and giving ourselves that compassion. Uh, secondly, and again, this is the body work, and I do think it's a missing piece in in traditional psychology work around the body. And I guess I've been really grateful or really lucky, and for this, I'm really grateful that I've been introduced to mind body medicine. So the second the second suggestion is to get into the body. And your listeners would know from their own experience, they can't think themselves happy. They can't think themselves well, you know, because if they could, we'd all be doing it. And so it's really going to that next level, that next layer down where um, we we get to know our body. So doing things like going for a good walk, getting into nature, doing some yoga, going for a run and doing it all consciously, you know, being really present with your body and getting to know this incredible vehicle. Another thing to do would be just to check our relationship with our devices and, um, you know, what kind of physiological responses do we have to being constantly on? I notice when I'm mindlessly scrolling, 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 occasionally there'll be a twinge of anxiety or, or jealousy or whatever. And while they're all human, human responses, I think we need to track that in our body. Uh, thirdly, engaging the connect side of the parasympathetic nervous system. So building on what I was saying before. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's about loving ourselves and each other. So having genuine and authentic and vulnerable conversations, you know, holding hands, giving yourself a hug. Our body doesn't know the difference between a hug from someone else and a hug from ourselves and do it for 20 to 30 seconds because then we release all the feel-good hormones. The research also tells us that a six-second kiss with an intimate partner releases some feel-good hormones as well. So do that. Yeah. And, you know, I guess as a practical tool as well, just make sure you connect with another human every day. And pets are good too. If humans aren't around, animals are wonderful as well. And even if there's not animals, you know, connect with something bigger, which brings me to my final suggestion we all take ourselves way too seriously. You know, we get trapped in our little, our little minds and it's me, me, me and my pain and my debt and my worry and my backache. And, and what if we kind of put that aside a little bit and, and thought about something bigger, thought about the broader world and the joy and the love and the pain and the suffering that's in the broader world. And for each of us, it's going to be different about how we connect to that. So it might be through meditation, it might be through prayer, it might be gardening, it might be volunteering. Um, a practice that I often give to my clients is called the cloud perspective, where I ask them to imagine themselves looking up at a cloud, imagine themselves floating up and sitting, sitting on a cloud and then looking down at the whole world and remembering that we're actually really small in this whole world while we take it all very seriously and we might be getting overwhelmed by x y and z let's put it into perspective so i'm not saying we're not important we are absolutely important and we're infinitely powerful but we do not run the world yes i love that yeah now you mentioned covid the pandemic and so i have some questions typically on my show i speak with people who are regionally based and um so you being based in melbourne last year with the lockdowns and maybe more recently melbourne had less freedoms than we did regionally especially with that 5k boundary of leaving the house for exercise i'd like to hear about you know what it was like for you and your family oh jen it was horrid it was so tough 
you know, the 5K boundary, it, that was tricky because we couldn't see my husband's family, which was really hard because they live further than 5K away. Um, I was lucky that I'm a carer for my dad, so I still got to, even though he lives further than 5K, I still got to see him. And I'm also lucky in that I have a lot of friends who live in my local area, so I had a walking buddy that I'd make sure I'd get out and exercise with. I also live near the sea, so that was incredibly important. And swimming is very much part of my mental health care plan. So I um, I got into the ocean a fair bit over those times, but it was really hard. You know, homeschooling sucked. I'm a perfectionist and still trying to not be one, but I'm, you know, it's a lifetime of habits I'm trying to unpick here. And it was interesting. It was the point where I realized I was needing to post my grade one son's um, work so that his teacher would tell me that I was a good grade one student. And I thought, yeah, really just stop being perfect and trying to impress people. So it was really hard though. Yeah. Yes. And now we're in the middle of um, 2021 and we're watching Sydney tackle their increasing COVID numbers and their lockdowns. And I've noticed on the social media there is a certain psychology around the Melbourne-Sydney rivalry, Uh, you know, and I've kind of felt that myself, but I'm really hoping that that rivalry, that that sense will settle down and and that Victorians can view Sydney's struggle with compassion and maybe understanding that we are, you know, one one country and this virus affects us all. I'd like to know your thoughts on this. Mm, It's a great observation, Jen. You know, one of my early discoveries in when I start, first started meditating and, and practicing and teaching mindfulness was that we really have two kind of levels to our being. We have the less evolved level, um, the survival space, I guess, and we were wired to compete. We were wired to judge because that was important for our survival. We needed to know who was a safe tribe and who wasn't a safe tribe. But then we have the more evolved part of ourselves, which is where compassion and collaboration and connection, all the good C words, creativity, it's where that sits. And so I think the opportunity we have as Victorians is to really get out of that less evolved kind of competitive, narky part of what it is to be human. And it's, again, been there for good reason. But let's just pop that to one side and then really start to inhabit the more evolved and and loving and caring part of ourselves. And again, that's where mindfulness is such a powerful technique because it helps us to see which habits we're falling into and then make perhaps more kind and conscious choices. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. I'm going to move along to the subject of how you might practice techniques for managing your own mental health in, in your personal life. So the recipe changes and morphs with every week and every year, but it is something that I do need to be careful of given my genetics and um, my, you know, my, the the things that have, have faced me in my life. And so in addition to obviously meditation and mindfulness, which is why I teach it, um, I believe it is one of the best mental health tools that we can foster. The other tips or the other things that I definitely have in my recipe are listening to my body for my truth. So really learning to connect to my values and um, and live the life that is authentic and, and truthful for me rather than what society or my parents or my friends or my husband tells me I should be living. Being really clear on my boundaries, I'm, a, I'm naturally a really kind and empathic person, so I have spent a lot of my life 
um, you know, running myself into the ground for the support of others. And that, you know, that comes with mothering as well, being a parent. And so, you know, I've had to continue to clarify and reiterate my boundaries in my relationships, um, being clear with what's okay and what's not okay. I do some kind of daily movement and that might be going for a walk around the block with the dog. It might be going for a swim. It might be doing a few stretches in the lounge room, just something to get my body moving and, um, you know, get my parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system engaged. Uh, and then obviously there, I always have someone to chat to. So either a therapist or a coach, someone to check in with, who's not someone um, in my personal life, just to have that objective view so helpful I say to my own clients I feel like therapy is a massage for our soul it's you know it's really just an opportunity to get it all out and chat about it and then there's obviously the biochemical support so nutrition and herbs and vitamins and things like that so it sounds like a lot but I guess when it's integrated within your life it's there's very few things that take additional time I guess other than the meditation and and exercise but they're worth it yeah yeah and I loved how you said listening to my body because you know every day is not the same and I know for myself you know I'm I think I'm perimenopausal <laughs> I'm of the age and I do know yeah my hormones do affect my moods and you know I have a bit of a self-care plan but sometimes it just doesn't work and I think oh this could be a hormonal surge when I tune into that I'll go all right take a break, turn the heater up, lie on the couch, read a book, giving myself permission to move through this yuckiness because it will pass. It's actually hard to do. It's a practice. And I'm talking about this because it happened two days ago. And I congratulated myself because I felt good the next day. And I felt like, oh, great. Well, that worked and that'll work again. Well, you know, Jen, it's just, it's taking care of ourselves in the way we would take care of someone we loved. You know, if your if your daughter was sitting next to you and she said, "I think I'm perimenopausal and I'm feeling my head's foggy," and I'm, you wouldn't say, "Well, come on, hurry up, get it together, out you go for a run, or go and sit down and meditate." And you know, no, you'd probably say, "Make a cup of tea, get a heat bag, love, and put your feet up, and I'll give you a neck massage." And, you know, it, it's, it is a lifelong practice and we, we do need to relearn a lot of the things we've learned from our, um, our parents, from society, but what self-care or any kind of mental health care plan looks like. And it, there isn't one size fits all. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to know, Liv, what big things are you looking forward to this year? Well... I'm super looking forward to working on a children's book that I have written. Uh, the book is called You Are Loved and it's a poem that I wrote about six years ago now, really a culmination of a lifetime's worth of experience and wisdom. You know, and it's interesting, Jen, love seems to have been a big theme in our chat today, so it's very relevant or very perfect that we're talking about this. You know, I guess... Um, I've realized through my personal experiences, through my professional work, that um, love is the ultimate healer. And that the cool thing is, we don't have to wait for it from somebody else. We can cultivate it ourselves. And that's what this book's about. So, yeah, it's, I'm really excited to be working on that. So, it's, it, it, we have a publisher and we, I actually had a meeting last night with the illustrator, and, um, and that's due to be released uh, next year. So for Christmas next year, 2022. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, 
that is that's great and I love how like you were saying you know changing those patterns and learnings from our childhood and society and this and you're contributing to that through this book which will sounds like it'd be really lovely but educational at the same time and giving tools to people at a younger age love it yeah I wish I had a book like that me too I'm writing it for you know I would have liked to read it at the age of four five or six yeah I wonder if you could write one for teenagers as well, just in you know, just in case those younger kids don't they they miss <laughs> the earlier version. It's, you know, it's really interesting you should say that. Um, I actually think the book will be relevant for every age group. So as I was writing it, I consulted with a friend who's a psychiatrist and one who's a psychologist, very handy being in mental health, who've got lots of great friends who do similar work. And they both said they would recommend it to all of their clients for any age and interestingly Jen I did my thesis on mental health in in adolescence and some of the themes that I have woven into the poem which is the book are based on that research so it's about the fact that you know regardless of how many friends we have we're loved you know regardless of where we are or how successful we are or whether we win the race or don't we're still loved and you know I think the research tells us that boys base a lot of their um, their self-esteem around performance and girls base a lot of their self-esteem around relationships and physical image. So hopefully that will get them at an early age. But, yes, I'd love to do an adolescent version, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Now, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, how can people best get in touch to find out more about your mindfulness resources and maybe this children's book? So my website's probably the best place to go. So that's livemindfully.com and that's live without an E as in my name. So L-I-V mindfully.com. And then I've also got a podcast, uh, which is called You Are Loved, and that can be listened to on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And um, I also have some of my meditations on Insight Timer, which is a free meditation app, uh, so people could check out some of my work there. But uh, the website's probably the first helpful landing spot because all the inf- other information's on, on there. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. Yeah, it's been wonderful to catch up and hear your wisdom. Oh, yeah, we've all got, we've all got wisdom. It's all, it's in all of us.